Welcome back to another edition of what I like to call From Nonsense to God Sense as we take a look at some of the things in this world through a biblical perspective because oftentimes when we look through the lens of the world, things get even more confusing, more corrupt, and and more difficult to even understand and try to experience. And so we like to look at some things. And recently, Dan Delzell and I, we've been talking about uh, foundations, you know, the proper foundations to build upon, build upon our country when it comes to biblical foundations, build upon our relationships, build upon our lives. Yeah, we've talked about uh, last week about um, really when it came down to, which is this, the the springboard for today, is the idea of how as a Christian can we live. You know, last time we talked about uh, being gay and being a Christian, and the conversation went from that to now today. What is the foundations of a Christian life? And it's taken from uh, Romans seven particularly chapters, uh, verses 14 through 25. And, and Dan, when reading it, it was kind of interesting because I, I love when you read the Bible, sometimes it's very clear and sometimes it's not so clear. And I read a couple of editions. Um, I love the King James version, obviously. So I start there and then I went to the NIV and then I think the new American standard because it can get kind of confusing when Paul's talking about, because it's almost like he double speaks. And so it's very important to keep clear in mind what he says when he talks about his life versus sin versus temptation, how he wants to live versus how he actually lives because we live in a, in a fallen world. And so it's a, it's going to be a fun conversation to have, but we got to keep in mind that when it comes to it right down to the very bottom of whatever is being said, Paul wants to live for Christ regardless of what's going on. He wants to stay out of the basement, as you alluded to last week, which we'll touch on. And he wants to keep his mind, his body, and his soul working towards the will of God, however God would want him to do it. So I think it's going to be a fun conversation and something that you uh, wrote about and you've talked about. Again, Dan is a, an author at the Christian Post, and so you can find a lot of his articles there. And so, Dan, welcome back to uh, another week of uh, talking about the stuff we've been talking about. Well, Son, thanks so much for having me back. And uh, yes, indeed, this topic is um, so enlightening for us as Christians. You know, we, we often hear people quote, you know, uh, th- these various verses. And, and one of the ones uh, most often quoted is where Paul wrote, you know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't want to do that, I keep on doing. Uh, you know, I guess here at the outset, uh, it might be good just to note that, that there seem to be, you know, Christians who take this in either one of two ways. They either take this as Paul writing about his pre-converted life, uh, or uh, the other option is Paul writing as a, as a Christian. Now, um, personally, I don't think there's any doubt, at least in my mind, that, that Paul was writing this as a Christian. Um, this text, like the rest of the Bible, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you look at it in the context of this beautiful cathedral of our faith, the Book of Romans, uh, I mean, there's nothing quite like Romans uh, that God has given us. And, and after, you know, Paul lays out the, um, the foundation of our faith, uh, the justification that we have by grace through faith in Christ and this righteousness from God, as Paul describes it, that we have been justified uh, through faith. Now he, he, he starts to elaborate in these verses uh, how we as Christians, though, even though we're forgiven, even though we're justified, we're not perfect. And, and at times we find ourselves doing things that um, that we wish we had not done. And so as we talk about this today, I think it's important to understand that Paul is not writing these words about someone who would be an unbeliever, but rather about his own experience. And, and I think every Christian who's honest with himself or herself um, can identify with these verses that we're going to look at today, because who among us 
can honestly say, you know, I am, I am clean and without sin ever since I've been a Christian. You know, I, I, I've never had a, a, a sinful thought. I've never committed a sinful act. I've never spent, you know, 10 seconds in, in the basement that we'll talk about, you know, of my sinful nature. I mean, so obviously this has application for every single believer. Um, but, but as you said, Son, I know we'll cover this today too. This by no means was Paul uh, saying that, well, you know, uh, hey, I'm going to sin, so I might as well just give into it. No, uh, far from that. Uh, he clearly addresses this as something that he doesn't want to continue to, um, to experience in his life, but, but it's an ongoing struggle, as he would write about even in other uh, epistles that we have from Paul and this conflict between uh, the spirit and the sinful nature. So, yeah, what, what an important topic that really helps us to think uh, our roots down deep into biblical theology so that we have an accurate understanding of who we are in Christ, who we are both as saints, but, but also still um, wrestling with the desires of the sinful nature that are still a part of our being as long as we're in this, this world, at least. I'd have to agree. I think this is about Paul and his Christian life, because if you're not a Christian, then why would you care? Why would you care about good evil? Why would you care about following Jesus because right. you don't believe in him? So I just think common sense would dictate that Paul's talking about his Christian life. That's just my two cents um, that I take yeah, from I, I it. Yeah, I definitely uh, believe the same thing, Son. You know, in, in verse 18, uh, Paul, well, and let me jump back. In verse 15, Paul writes, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, it's important that we understand what Paul is saying here. Um, Paul is not suggesting that, that as the Apostle Paul, as the uh, converted uh, Christian uh, who's no longer under uh, the bondage to the law that he was in as a very zealous uh, Jewish uh, individual prior to this, but, but now as a, as a Christian, Paul's not suggesting that he just was living for sin uh, and that that was his just daily um, premeditated uh, approach. I mean, think, think about it this way. Um, think about a guy who uh, has been set free, and now, you know, all he wants to do for, is live for Christ. But let's say that Paul would go through a particular type of persecution, and then something from the basement of his soul within the sinful nature might well up within him. And let's say for five or ten seconds, Paul would be struck with the thought, boy, you know, if I could just do what I would have done, you know, back when I, before I was a Christian, you know, if I could just, you know, let this guy have it. Okay. Now, if Paul noticed that, even for five seconds, let's say, within his being, he would have hated it. He would have hated it. Where is that coming from? You know, I, I'm, I'm a new creation. Why would I even have that thought? So, so we're not talking here about a guy who is double-minded. We're not talking here about a guy who lived you know, with one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. And, 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 you know, even though he wanted to do the right thing, he often found himself um, deliberately giving in to sin. No, we're not talking about um, deliberately giving in to sin here. Although that's not to say Paul never gave in to any deliberate sin. But, but for the most part here, we're, we're, we're talking about sinful desires that would, would, would crop up within Paul and, and that he would recognize that this is not from the Lord. This thought that I just had, this desire that I just had, this, this, um, idea that I just had. Um, I hate that. Uh, I, I hate that I would even still think that. And I'll tell you what, son, any Christian who's honest, any Christian who's honest will say, you know what? Hey, I can relate. Sometimes I have thoughts. I don't know where they come from. Uh, and it could be about anything. I mean, a lot of it is going to be related to a person's individual experience and what they've been through and so forth. But, but who hasn't and, and doesn't have regular times where sinful thoughts come into your mind, or maybe you even feed that thought 
by by choosing to dwell on it for 10 seconds, okay? So let's say Paul did that. Let's say Paul spent 10 seconds thinking about, man, if I could just get even, and then he, like, comes to his senses, you know, within 10 seconds. Paul would have said, I hate that I do that. You know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. So we're not talking here about a double-minded guy who's, like, preaching the gospel, but then deliberately living for sin at the same time. No, no, that's not what Romans 7 is about. It's about the struggle that we all have. And, and you know, you, you could really talk about sin at least in two different ways. There's premeditated sin, and then there's what we would call a hasty sin. You know, maybe something you give into uh, in the rush of a moment. You know, I think about uh, in, in Psalm um, uh, 119, I believe, where, where, where the psalmist says, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be innocent of great transgression. Um, and, and actually, that might actually be in Psalm 19, now that I think about it. But anyway, in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist is saying, you know, Lord, keep me from willful sin. Not to say that a hasty sin is some, something that we shouldn't be concerned with. But, but the reason a premeditated sin is, is, is even worse, Son, is because that involves a choice to get up off the, the, the couch in the living room with Jesus, which is where you're seated, my friend. You're seated with Christ right now, if you're a believer. And, and the choice to get up off the couch and to go over to that basement door and to walk down into the basement uh, of your sinful nature by starting to harbor that grudge or, or hang on to that, um, that, that jealous thought or that lustful thought or that greedy thought. I mean, we're talking more than just a passing thought now. We're talking about something that we all as human beings, even as Christians, are capable of dwelling on. And this is what the psalmist meant. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me, which is what sin always does, and it always rules over you. It's kind of like in the, in the political world today, you got people who want to rule over everybody else. Well, that, that, that's coming from darkness, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you're free in the Lord, you want others to be free. You want others to make their own decisions as much as possible. You don't want to try to control them. And, and darkness always tries to control, and that's never more true than when we're talking about the sinful nature, the basement room of the soul, and that's what Romans 7 is dealing with, especially these verses here, 14 to 25, where Paul was experiencing, even as a Christian, sometimes these, these thoughts that were not from God. And it's like, what's happening here? I mean, you know, what a wretched man I am, Paul would go on to say in that, in that uh, section. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And, and, and so here, here's the picture, son. Sometimes what uh, the Romans would do with those uh, captives that they um, were, were wanting to really uh, torture is they would um, place them uh, face to face with a corpse and they would tie uh, those two bodies together. And that would be obviously just a miserable uh, existence for the one who's living. And, and, and so it's almost like Paul is saying, you know, I smell the stench of my sinful nature whenever I have that, that thought, that, that, that jealousy, that grudge, that lust, that greed. Just the smell of it, just the stench of it. Unlike the aroma that is so pleasing to the Lord when, when, when Christians are praying and serving him. But the stench of sin, Paul said, I hate. And this is what, what the Holy Spirit gives us, is a sensitivity to sin, where now we begin to hate sin. And that's what Paul's saying here. You know, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. So Paul's saying, I hate those five seconds of, of that stench. I hate that 15-second period that I went through today where I had this thought go into my mind, and it's just like, oh, my goodness, I hate this. And, and it, that's the stench, son, of, of sin in the world. 
and, and even within the basement of our own soul. And so don't be surprised, my friend, as a Christian, if you continue to have time where there is that, that stench uh, around you that comes either from your own basement within your soul or from the world, because we're still in these bodies and we're still at times prone to being tied in, in a way to that corpse of sin. And, and yet Christ has freed us. So that's not our normal life. That's not what we want um, on the living room uh, couch with Jesus. That's not where, where, where we live. But it is always a constant temptation. It's like the analogy of the you know devil on one shoulder, angel on the other shoulder, telling you back and forth, back and forth, what to do, what you shouldn't do. It's it's as a believer, it's the conflict, like you said, it's the struggle between the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's like two opposite ends of a magnet. When you try to push them together, you know they push apart. There's got that natural, you know, uh, yes. you know, pushing Good. a part Good of point. it, and so that's what it is. You're dealing with two separate things, but you can only accept one, and so it becomes a yep. big battle for the believer to uh, to try to fight that. Like you said, you know, the other thing too is you're talking about time. You're talking about five, fifty. 15 seconds, 5 seconds, 10 yeah. seconds. Yeah. And I'm reminded yeah. of the movie, um, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but it's the Fast and Furious movies. And in the yeah. very first one, uh, they're racing. It's a quarter mile. It takes about 10 seconds. And they talk about a 10-second mm-hmm. car. And so oh. in that quarter mile, they have, a you know, and throughout the series, they have a few races. Um, right. And there's always something that goes wrong. Someone's car is going to overheat. A car is going to break exactly. down. A car is going to crash. And so that's kind of like the analogy, you know, in that 10 seconds, a lot of people might not think that's a, a long time. But to yes. me, when, when the, the mind, uh, when I went, when I was thinking of those movies, you know, that 10 seconds, a lot went wrong and that required, you know, something tangible like the cars. And so the car yeah. would break down. And then the line was in that first movie, you know, Brian O'Connor, you owe me a 10 second car. It's like, you know, so yeah. he never even made yeah. the 10 seconds in a vehicle, in a, in a high performance yeah. vehicle. So imagine what Satan can do in those 10 yeah. seconds that he gets a hold of us and yeah. does to us. And the battle and that conflict and that struggle then becomes real. Because That's like right. we talked about before, there is a difference between temptation and committing the sin, even though a yeah. lot of times we correlate the two as the same. But it's what we do with that when it comes to yeah. us, those 10 seconds. When we're on the stairway, are right. we going, going to continue That's to go right. down to the basement? Are we going to turn and That's you know right. run away from that door? Well, that, that, that's exactly right, Son. And again, the the uh, image also that we've talked about uh, here in recent weeks is this idea that when you are born again, saved, redeemed, forgiven, and justified uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, when you repent of your sin and receive him as your Savior, um, at that moment now, uh, the Lord comes to live within you, and, and your body becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the image is now you're in the living room of your soul, and the Lord Jesus is sitting right there with you on the couch, and it's peaceful, and it's great, and it's it's loving, and, and, and you want to just sing songs in your heart to the Lord because you're at peace, okay? But the basement room of your soul, uh, your sinful nature, which is what Paul is describing in Romans 7, that is still within your soul. Um, you are no longer controlled by it. You are no longer under the dominion of it. You are no longer going to um, have to pay for your, your sins uh, one day. Uh, Jesus paid for them on the cross. But now the challenge for the believer is to do what it says in Titus, and that's to do what the grace of God teaches us to do, which is to just say no. So when we are tempted to, to give in to a sin, we are tempted to get up off the couch with our will and begin to walk toward the basement door and walk downstairs. Now, that could take the form of somebody doing something wrong and, and within a matter of seconds. 
your anger at them is welling up within you to the point where you not only don't want to pray for them to, to help get free of that, of that grudge that's starting to form, but, but you're even starting to have some really wicked thoughts like, man, you know, they deserve this or they deserve that. Or, you know, um, I mean, and all these, all this focus on this person that is not wholesome, not, not godly, but that's what sin does. And, and so the choice then is, am I going to walk down into the basement by harboring these thoughts, holding a grudge, um, or am I going to give it to Jesus? Um, because the sooner I give it to Jesus, the better off I'm going to be. And, and the basement is, is no place for the Christian to live. And, and that's why Paul said, the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. Um, so Paul said, so it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, here's the, here's the key point, Don. Some people almost think that Paul is like um, removing any accountability then for, for, from the Christian's actions. Like, well, hey, it wasn't really you. It, it was sin in me that did it. Um, okay, here's what he's saying, okay? Paul was saying, the real me, okay? I, I'm no longer Saul, guys. I'm Paul. The real me, Paul, wants to do the right thing all the time. In fact, he sums it up in that final verse of chapter 7 beautifully where he says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So here's what he's saying. Here on the couch with Jesus, which is my normal Christian life, um, this is where God has seated me. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a slave to God's law. Um, I'm not under the law. I'm not saved by the law, but, but I want to do God's will in everything because I've been forgiven. And I want to do it not in order to be saved, uh, but because I've already been saved. And, and so whereas the unbeliever, who's not yet having the Lord in, in the living room of their heart, um, they're, they're still trying to save themselves, or they don't want anything to do with God, or they're, you know, they're, they're outside of Christ. But for the believer, um, you now uh, become a slave to God's law in your mind, meaning you want to do God's will. You're not relying on the law for salvation, because all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. But you, you, you love the, the the Lord's law, you love his word, you love the truth. Um, but Paul says, but in the sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. Here's what he meant. You know, because sometimes you hear Christians say, well, you know, I'm still a slave to sin. We're still, you know, we're still slaves to sin. Um, I mean, you'll even hear in, uh, um, even in the liturgy of different churches, uh, when they have a time of confession early in the service, you know, um, you know, it, it's not untypical for churches to have people repeat things like, you know, uh, I, a poor, miserable sinner, and then go on to say how I, I'm, I'm in slavery to sin. Um, well, you have to be really careful with that terminology, because uh, the Bible says for the Christian, you have been set free from sin. The only sense in which the Christian could still be um, identified as being in slavery to sin is when he or she chooses to walk downstairs and stay there in the basement giving in and feeding that sinful nature. And, and that is no place that God wants us to be. So it, it's much more accurate when a Christian is confessing their sins to certainly identify those areas where you have fallen short, to talk to the Lord about those, to repent of those. But, but I would encourage Christians to, to, to be careful saying things about yourself that God doesn't say. You know, be careful calling yourself, um, using certain, we talked about this, I think, last week, maybe, using certain sinful labels about yourself that the Bible doesn't use for you. And, and one of those would be, you know, I'm just, I'm just a slave to sin. Well, not the real you. The only part of you that still wants to sin is your sinful nature. That's it. And any time the real you wants to sin, now we have a problem. And again, we've all been there. Now we have a problem because if, if, if a Christian begins to... Um, 
get into willful sin and deliberate sin, this causes a much bigger spiritual issue for the believer, for the person who's heaven-bound, because the most miserable people on the planet are, are for the most part, are going to be those who are double-minded, who, who have one foot in, in with Christ, and, and yet they're trying to live in the basement. It, it doesn't work. It, it simply won't ever bring peace or contentment, and you can never satisfy the desires of the basement. Um, you, and, and ultimately, uh, as, as David found out, uh, King David, after his adultery with Bathsheba and then his murder of her husband Uriah, um, what David found out is you will be more miserable than anybody on the planet if you are living in deliberate sin against God. Um, you'll be you'll be miserable until you repent of that and turn to the Lord. Now, now, uh, if an unbeliever is living in in deliberate sin, they won't necessarily be miserable. Um, they, they may be very um, happy in their sin uh, and, and just kind of letting that mask their deeper need for a relationship with God. But, but for the believer, uh, if Jesus is on the couch of your heart because you've received him as Savior, and if you're hanging out in the basement, you, my friend, will be absolutely sick to yourself until um, you repent and, and give that to the Lord. And I would say this, if you or I ever find ourselves in that situation and we're not sick about it, we're not disturbed by it. That is not a good indication that, that the Lord is living within us because um, the Holy Spirit will always work to convict us. Uh, if he's living within us and if we're giving into willful, deliberate sin, it, 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 it's impossible that we won't come under conviction. And, and so, you know, a person can either harden his heart and let his conscience become seared and, and really just run the risk of not even just knowing Christ, not even being a Christian. And then I know Christians will debate whether that person ever knew Christ in the first place or not. Well, we won't get into that right now. But the, the, the bottom line is you cannot live both for Christ and the world. It just doesn't work. And King David found that out. Uh, St. Paul um, was simply talking here about the ongoing struggle that he had with sin. But I'll tell you what, too, son, the last thing I'll say on that is this. If, if Paul would have had any major moral failing the way that King David did, God would not have hid that from us in the Word. And that's one of the things that really authenticates the Bible. Um, God's not afraid to tell it like it happened. You know, you, 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 if the Bible truly just came from men, uh, as, as some people want to claim, and critics of the Bible, well, then why in the world would anybody put all these warts on the Christians like King David and others? Why in the world would you write about their failings at times? The reason God did that is to show us the way it really went down. And yet God's mercy and faithfulness to David and his forgiveness of David's sin was needed greatly by David, just like it's needed greatly by us. So the Bible is a real book for a real world, for real people who struggle with real temptation and sometimes give in to real willful sinning. And, and Paul here was talking more about just the, the desires that he would find cropping up within him, even as a Christian, and he hated those things. He hated him with a vengeance because, because the Holy Spirit within him always hates sin. He always hates sin because God is holy, God is perfect. And the more the Holy Spirit's filling us, the more that hatred for sin, not, not for people, not for sinners, but for sin within us. Not somebody else's sin, but my own sin. You know, the more I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the more hatred for my own sin I will experience. That's just the nature of Christianity.
You know, Dan, it reminds me of a, of an athlete. You know, you think of these championship quality athletes out here in Los Angeles. You you know, obviously right. think of the Lakers and a Magic Johnson or a uh, Kobe right. Bryant, and and they they want to live for winning. They play to win. However, they're going to have their losses. There'll be times they won't win yes. a championship. They'll have defeat, but their personality, their persona, who they are, is a champion. That's how they treat themselves, and that's kind of like what yes. Paul's going through here. It's like he's treating himself as that Christian, as that believer. There will be times yeah. of doubt. There will be times of failure. There will be times of loss yeah. and defeat. But he's not living his life as a defeated person. Yes. That's just an obstacle right. uh, that he has to overcome and right. get back to being that championship quality believer that he knows he is. And that's when I'm looking at it and listening. That's kind of what comes to mind is, you know, be that championship believer. Even though you might have yeah. the loss, you might have the strikeout, you might have the turnover, yeah. the interception, yeah. whatever sports analogy you want to use. You can yes. still be and act and be that championship quality player despite those mistakes and despite those losses because those losses don't define you. It's the winning, right. and that winning is you being in the uh, living room, as you say, and not in that basement. Yeah. You know, Son, I think your analogy there is very inspired, and, and it leads me to, to uh, think of uh, something I just watched with my son yesterday. We have started to watch um, uh, the Netflix series about – Michael Jordan, which is very fascinating. We've only gotten through a couple of the episodes, but um, we started a while back, a few weeks back, and we just hadn't gotten around to watching the second one. Well, anyway, to make a long story short, um, they, they, are, they are talking of a time in Michael's career there with Chicago where he, he sustained the first injury of his career. He'd not missed a, missed a game, a high school game, a college game, or pro game, a pro game, but now he was out for a while and, and uh, it really affected uh, the Bulls. They, they barely were going to be making the playoffs. Michael could only be – they only let him be in. The only owner only let him play like seven minutes a half, and, and he restricted him to anything more than that. And they were talking about this game where, um, you know, it got down to the end. There's like 30 seconds left, and, uh, you know, uh, the Bulls needed one one shot, and Michael, his, his time had run out, and, uh, run out for the seven minutes, and he was so disappointed – um, that he couldn't get in and play that. But, but the, the bigger point I, I want to make, they did go on to win, by the way. Uh, John Paxson, I think, hit a, hit a, a, a little shot um, there to win it. But, um, but what, what was really striking to me is this. Um, they, they were talking about how if the Bulls didn't make the playoffs and they were just barely still within reach of the playoffs, they were going to get a, a lottery pick, like one of the first seven players in the draft for the next year. And, and as some teams apparently do, it's almost like they want, they look at it as though it's almost to our advantage to lose this game uh, so that we could have a lottery pick for next year. This, of course, was just not anything within Michael Jordan's um, framework at all. I mean, everything within him was, you know, uh, I, I always play to win. You know, I, I never you know, look at it for that reason. And, and it described how hard it was on him to have to be confronted with some in the management and even ownership of the team who were almost, you know, flirting with this idea like it, it's better off, uh, it's better off that we lose. And, and, and so that analogy to go with your excellent point about like living as a champion. And, and as the Bible says, you know, uh, everyone who competes, you know, um, competes, you know, to win the prize. And, and we press on toward the goal to win the mark. You know, this is the Christian life. It, it, it's never to take the attitude, well, you know, I may lose today. I may go down to the basement room today. It's no big deal. Uh, we'll make it up tomorrow. Um, that was kind of what Michael was hearing from the owner, Jerry Krause. It's like, well, you know, hey, um, we, we, we want to get that lottery pick. So it's not a big deal if we don't make the playoff. Whereas for Michael Jordan, it was like, no, I mean, every ounce within him, you know, wanted to win. And then they were showing in some games during that, um, that particular year 
then they, they went on um, to then play the Celtics, and he had a couple games where he's like scoring like 50 points, one over 60, 60 points. I he just went nuts once he uh, they took those restrictions off of him of just living uh, or just playing rather uh, for seven minutes at a time. But but that in a way is what the Christian life is to be. We are to be so hungry to live for the Lord that we can't wait to get back out onto the court. And and the thought that we would somehow um, that we, that we would somehow uh, allow defeat to come uh, for some supposed, you know, uh, whatever result that we think might be good. That should be so foreign to our thinking. Um, well, you know, and, and Paul even goes on to write about that actually in the very next, uh, in, in the very, uh, I'm sorry, in the previous chapter, in chapter six, uh, the beginning of that, what Paul said in Romans is, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, we die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so Paul's saying, anybody who says, well, you know, hey, I'm forgiven. I might as well live in the basement today and enjoy that a little bit. Paul says, by no means. And it's almost like Michael Jordan would say, what are you talking about? Let's lose today's game so we can get a better draft pick tomorrow. That's not what winners do. There's nothing in my DNA that would allow me to do that. And I think this really, um, it really broke in many ways kind of just a relationship that he had with management before that because it was just so foreign to him to think that you would just cave in like that to lose uh and and this is what paul was going after and what you what you described their son as far as comparing it to like a champion um you know live as a champion for christ and aim high don't don't ever settle for for some reason to aim low you know, Dan, uh, Dan Dozell, author of the Christian Post, uh, with me. And, and Dan, one of the things that, uh, people often look at when you're talking about that basement, you're talking about the devil on your shoulder tempting you, um, it's the big things. You know, we think about the big things, whether it be a relationship with a woman or whether it be, um, you know, some salacious, you know, sin that we're being tempted. But oftentimes it's the little things. You know, it could be something as holding a grudge or not forgiving somebody. It could be something yeah. as, you know, wanting to get revenge on somebody because they did us wrong or maybe jealousy over somebody because they have yeah. something we don't or even something like selfishness. Um, so it's oftentimes not necessarily the big things that That's take right. away. I mean, you could have a uh, a storm come in. I know that uh, Florida and the Gulf Coast, they often get hit with hurricanes. Yeah. And a lot of yeah. times you think the hurricane is the thing that makes the destruction, which it is. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's the foundation. You know, houses get blown off the beach because their foundation yeah. is weak. And you have here yeah. in California earthquakes. You know, the earth rumbles and things collapse. Right. And it's, it's the earthquake right. that brought them down, yes. But also, you know, we went through a lot of retrofitting over the years to make a foundation, to make a structure stand strong and so oftentimes yeah. it could be the little things such yes. as selfishness or jealousy or revenge yeah. that may ultimately lead to a bigger thing that then collapses and makes us get that defeat and so we have to be careful and guard ourselves against the inconsequential yeah. little things yeah. that we're being tempted yeah. with that bring us to that basement yeah that that is so true son you know sometimes they'll talk about like you know the the, the big three that can you know, bring down not only uh, not only a minister, but really any Christian. And we see news reports all the time of people, Christians or whoever it might be, um, sometimes even, you know, many, many non-Christians as well. But, but you know, money, sex and power, you know, so so we, we, we find people in the news because they, they did something uh, illegal to gain money or they did they, they did something um completely immoral in the realm of, of sexuality uh, uh, or cheating with someone or whatever it might be, uh, or, or they, did, um, they, they did something to gain power uh, that was so dishonest and corrupt. 
and, and in this in this political environment in which we live, and many times, you know, uh, corrupt politicians' actions are are seen for what they are. Uh, but but any human being is capable of that. So those are maybe the big three: money, sex, and power. But then, as you say, Son, there's so many other areas where if we're not careful, uh, we can be overcome by one of those, even though maybe they're not as, as uh, you know, they're, they're not thought of in, in such um, large terms and, and so forth, you know, kind of reminds me here, I think it might've been yesterday. Um, you know, we had a, we had a sunny morning going on and, and if somebody had not looked at say the, the, the radar with, with the, a storm that was coming in kind of going across the Midwest, um, it actually went just, just, through parts of Omaha and then a little bit north of where we live. But it was just like it went from sunny to like just darkness um, fairly quickly. And then we ended up with, you know, 70 mile an hour winds in, in parts of Omaha and North Omaha. And then, you know, there were some areas that even got hit, I think Chicago and others maybe with a tornado and whatnot. But my point is, um, you know, son, those storms in the soul can, can seem to come out of nowhere. And as you said, it, it might involve jealousy, it might involve a grudge. Uh, it might involve something that's not nearly as maybe noticeable as some major violation of money, sex, and power that's going to just, you know, become visible very quickly. But it might be something that's only visible to the Lord. And, and, and these are the things that we have to be especially careful of as well, Son, because just because nobody else sees that corner of our heart where we're dwelling on that impure thought, that, that, that hateful thought, that, that, that thought of, of, of prejudice, uh, that, that, that thought of jealousy, that thought of lust, whatever it might be, those are the things son, that are just as much part of the basement room, those dark clouds that are there. And um, if we don't, by God's grace, say no, we're going to start to get swept up in those 70 mile an hour winds. And it, it's going to cause damage in our spiritual life. And, and the sooner we get back up those stairs, run back to the couch, say, Lord, what was I thinking? You know, forgive me, Lord. I, I shouldn't have spent those 30 seconds or those 30 minutes or those three hours dwelling on that thing. And, and the more we can do that, son, the more we learn about ourselves, the more we learn about the Christian life, the more we learn about Satan's schemes to try to trip us up, and the more we learn about how at times we are, um, we are, we are not only doing things that we don't want to do, but, but sometimes in the moment, we are, we are doing things that for the moment we just choose that we want to do in that moment. And, and it was uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, uh, the Lutheran minister in Germany, who, who helped uh, so many uh, who were um, getting caught up in the, the Nazism of Hitler and, and uh, as he worked to help uh, uh, you know, set Jews free and, and protect them. Um, it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who made this great statement one time where he said, Son, um, he said, you know, when, when I'm tempted and when I give in to temptation as, as a Christian, it, it, it's not as though um, I say, you know, I hate God and God hates me. Instead, it, it's kind of like I just kind of forget about God and, and I do what I want to do. And boy, uh, Bonhoeffer nailed it. You know, he nailed it because that, that is, that's what Paul was talking about. Um, that, that, that sometimes we get caught up, um, and we end up doing things that we know better, uh, and, and we shouldn't be doing. Um, and maybe it only lasted 10 seconds. Maybe it lasted 10 minutes, but, but, um, it won't lead to peace. It will only enslave. It, it will only make us miserable. It will only grieve the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why the Bible says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so there is no peace 
the Bible says, for the wicked. But we could even add to that, there is no peace when believers are living in wickedness in the basement. Um, not an ounce of peace will be found during that time for any Christian. You know, Dan, the other thing, too, I think that um, I like to do for myself is, you know, we talk about being prepared. You know, I mentioned I'm in Los Angeles or so an earthquake territory. You're in uh, Omaha mm-hmm. area, so, you know, mm-hmm, you've got mm-hmm. the uh, tornadoes. And so we've got these yeah. natural disasters, and I know we've got people, you know, in the south that have hurricane. And you, and you talk about being prepared. You talk yeah. about preparation, and that includes many things. But I think one of the things yeah. as Christians that we need to be prepared for is yeah. the um, – the failing, so to speak, the sinning, it's going to happen. It's, it's like, yeah. it's like we get yeah. shock and I don't want to dismiss yeah. it. I don't want I don't want to get dismissive because it's a very fine no. line here. We don't want to get dismissive, yeah. but it's almost like we get shocked into yeah. some sort of something that we failed. And it's like yeah. the Bible itself explicitly says that no man is perfect. It says yeah. we are going to sin. It says we are going to do wrong. And yet we often yeah. focus on that. And that is what we focus yeah. on. And I think that becomes even further uh, problematic yeah. because we focus on that instead of the cross, which we can get forgiveness yeah. through. And so I think we need yeah. to have in that preparation and that expectation that, okay, there are going to be times we are going to fail. And we're going to have to come to that, you know, the grip, the, you know, with, with that grips with that, come to terms with that. Yeah. But yet that's yeah. not where we finish. That's not the end of it. We can move no. on beyond it. And there might be times where we get tempted. We get tempted. We get tempted and we fight it yeah. off. We fight it off. Oh, we fail. We fight it off. Yeah. We fight it off. We fail because Satan is going to attack us. You know, the Bible talks about. Satan being, uh, you know, roaming around like a, a lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, the Bible talks about this, you know, language of Satan in this, you know, terms of like viciousness. It's not like he's just yeah. you know, having tea and wishing bad things on people using the force. That's right. You know, he's out there seeking to destroy. He's out there yeah. seeking to have mass destruction. And so That's we right. have to we have to keep in mind and be prepared with the idea that we are going to fail, but that doesn't end yeah. it. There's going to be if we look to the cross and we look as a champion of of Christ and a believer that those are just going to be the defeats along the way to our ultimate victory, which is heaven. And we have to just be able to know that they're going to come. We don't excuse them, but we know they're going to come. Yeah. And then we yeah. and then when it does happen, it's like they say in sports. You know, you learn more from a loss than you do a, a, a win. Yeah. And so when you yeah. when you suffer that loss, that sin, you can learn more from it put your focus back on the cross and get back right um and so i don't know just for me that's one of the things that uh that i try not to do is i I realize things are going to happen and i don't become shocked that oh i did something wrong um but i don't you know that's not me like you said that's not me that's not paul paul doesn't live in the loss he lives in the victory that's right and we need to expect the loss or that fumble or that defeat but not live there learn from it and then move on that's right you know son i think you just beautifully explained what is actually a very deep theological truth. And when I say deep theological truth, I mean, there are, there are denominations, there are churches, there are pastors who don't seem to have a grasp on what you just said. And the reason I say that is, is because they, they, they become so um, legalistic in terms of um, focusing people so much inwardly um, that, that, that they, they don't seem to be able to help people to move on when there has been failure. And they're so focused on, on, on the person's actions, but they don't seem to have the grace there when they fail. And this is where Romans 7 uh, nails it, because Paul said, um, you, you know, uh, the, the good that I want to do, I don't do the evil, I don't want to do that, I keep on doing. Therefore, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, son, I hope everybody listening will really 
take this to heart and it really matches beautifully with what you just explained. And that is for the Christian who has failed uh, for those 10 seconds or those 10 minutes or those 10 days or whatever. Okay. Um, the real you, my friend, is who you want to be. If you were living in the basement for 10 seconds or 10 minutes, 10 hours, 10 days, whatever the case may be, that is not the real you. Unless, of course, that's who you want to be. If you want sin to be your master rather than Christ, then the Bible would say you are not in Christ. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're able uh, with your, your, your free will, as it were, to, um, to go that way. But, but you're not able biblically to say that, that, you know, I want to live for sin and I want to live for Christ. What you are able to do as a Christian is you're able to separate those things when there has been failure. And, and I'll give this example. So I, I've counseled couples, for example, who have maybe, let's say, where, where adultery has been involved. Um, and, and one of the things that I have uh, counseled couples to, to think about, and I'm talking now about where both parties are Christians, um, is is where both the husband and the wife know the Lord is 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 what we've talked about is how their spouse you know to really think about who the the the, the spouse is the real person who they want to be now I, I understand all the the issues that come into play with trust and everything else and and not every marriage is able to survive you know adultery but but for those that can uh, attempt to do so the way out for a case like that the way out for a believer who is you know, let's just say uh, committed some great sin and, and um, or maybe even not so great of a sin, but they, they've gone against their conscience and against the Lord and they're beating themselves up. OK, um, Paul says it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. In other words, my friend, when you're in the basement, that is not the real you. Now, maybe for that moment you were giving into that, you were overcome by it, you were choosing to do it. OK, but but the real you is who you want to be. OK, so what Son was just saying is um, you, you don't have to spend all this time beating yourself up for it. OK, um, the, the, the key now is, is to move on with Christ and, and to, as the Bible says, aim for perfection. You know, it, it doesn't say aim for mediocrity. And, and the only way we can aim for perfection is realizing that our sins have been perfectly forgiven. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. He's the only perfect one. Uh, it, it means aim high. But, but keep our eyes on Jesus. And, and what forgives us is not our efforts, not even the fact that we're aiming high or whatever. What, what forgives us is the blood of Jesus Christ. So we are in Christ. We are forgiven. We are saved. And, and, and Paul says, therefore, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I've been able to tell couples, you know, that's not who your spouse really is. Now, yes, in that moment, now it was. Now, if a person continues to live with repeated patterns, then it gets tougher and tougher to make the case that that's not who a person wants to be. Uh, even then, though, um, there, there, there could very well be a believer who has a stronghold and, and truly wants to be free from that even after many failures. So it, it gives us, it gives us um, a, a way that is much different than what the world offers, Son, which is um, the gospel of self-esteem. And the problem with self-esteem is that the minute somebody criticizes you or you mess up, um, then your, your ideology gets deflated because it's all about self. And, 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 and if I'm not as good as I thought I was, uh, or if I do something that I know is really bad, uh, how can I feel good about myself? Well, the Bible never said for the believer, you have to feel good about yourself. It said, feel good about Christ. Look, look at Christ, trust in him. Anything good that comes out of your life, my friend, as a Christian, Jesus gets the credit. Anything bad that comes out of your life, 
You get the blame for being in the basement room, but God's not going to hang it over your head. God is not holding that against you. You don't have to. I mean, that was sin. That's what Paul nails it in Romans 7. Um, that was sin, but, but let's move on. Um, you don't have to focus on that. And if your spouse was involved in sin, let's find out who they want to be. I mean, let's have your spouse tell you who they want to be, um, not who they were in that moment or that day or that month. And this is how some couples have been able to move beyond even something as serious as adultery, son, um, where they've been able to see, you know what? I, I know my spouse. I, I know who they want to be. I'm convinced of who they want to be. And, and, and while, you know, there's no way to ever condone what happened, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to forgive. And sometimes, you know, there are couples where, where uh, you know, a person's willing to do that. But, but we have to be willing with ourselves to, to keep our eyes on Jesus, not on what we did in the basement. Because that's not who we want to be. You know, Dan, it reminds me, too, if I can just use one more analogy. And if this is stretching it, let me know. But it's almost like, you know, if God's the coach and we're the players and Uh we're playing at a championship level, you know, kind of like with Michael Jordan, when you mentioned him in that uh, documentary, there will be times where we have to be benched. There will be times where we're taken out of the game because we are struggling. Maybe we're going through a slump. But yet right. the coach wants us back in there, even though Michael Jordan had seven yeah. minutes. The coach yeah. wanted him in there, but for the better, yes. uh, good yes. for Michael Jordan, the team, and everybody else, the franchise, right. they had to sit him out. Sometimes God's going to put us out on the sideline or whatever the yes. case might be because we're not ready yes. to be that championship believer yet. And so, I mean, it's, it's yes. a stretch of an, of an analogy, but it's something that we have to keep in mind is that just because we do something wrong, yeah, the coach, you know, the coach, just like a player does something wrong. The coach doesn't just banish him forever from the team. God's not going right. to banish us from his kingdom because we do a thing or two or three or maybe many more things wrong because he sent yeah. his son to die on the cross for us. And that salvation yeah. in the uh, forgiveness of sin on the resurrection on Easter morning, yeah. that gives us yeah. the the ability to get back into the game. We might need a timeout. We might need to be taken out of the game for a little bit, and we might struggle through some things because, again, there is consequence to sin. Um, Whether that's punishment or not, I guess people can, you know, debate that at another time. But there is consequence to sin. So we go in the basement and we do something wrong. There could be a consequence, like you said, with the the adultery. There's a consequence to that, you know. Yes. But that doesn't mean that as a Christian, as a believer, me individually – that I'm going to be taken out of the game. God still wants me as his child. God still wants me to get to heaven. God still wants me to run the race to win the prize. I just might have to get reconditioned to the point where, okay, I'm off focus. I need to get my game back together and then keep moving forward in the direction that's going to get me into heaven. Well, amen, son. And what it reminds us of is that Romans 7 that we're discussing today was not written in a vacuum. It was written in the context of this Cathedral of the Christian Faith, the Book of Romans, this epistle that is just so incredibly magnificent. And that, and Romans is written in the context of all of Scripture, which is all, all pointing to Christ. It's all history, his story, God's story of salvation. So if you look at just the Book of Romans, for example, um, when you get grounded in the earlier chapters in Romans, you get grounded in this righteousness from God, which comes to those who believe. And why that's so critical, son, is that if Christ is my righteousness, it's going to be much easier for me to move on even after I made a trip to the basement, because after all, it's not about me. It's not about my mess ups. It's not about, you know, whatever successes God works in me. It's about Christ. Whereas if my righteousness is about my life, if that's where my righteousness is based in, in how well I'm doing my performance, 
then it's going to be much tougher to move beyond that because, man, you know, I, I, I was sure I was a much better Christian than that. And I had no idea I could have ever done that. And my friend, realize you're capable of doing anything in the basement. So am I. Um, you know, and, and, and it's not about you. And so just as you cannot earn your salvation, um, you also don't need to be the focus um, uh, that just goes on and on focusing on those defeats. And, and that's, your, your point, Son, was a great one about the coach wanting to get the player back in. I mean, how about just the, the game of golf? I mean, what golfer can be successful if, if the last shot he made was this terrible putt that he should have made, and now he's got to go on to the next hole and, and hit this drive on a very difficult fairway? Um, you have to be able to, um, to to move beyond that and kind of almost like compartmentalize, you know, what, what you're doing. You have to, or what the Bible says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. So, so if our righteousness is in Christ, which it is for the believer, then, then we don't have to get too low on our failures or too high on those successes. We always can have a steadiness um, in Christ, in Christ alone. We can rejoice in those good things he's doing through us, we can be very careful by God's grace to be self-controlled and alert so that we don't give in to sin, so that we keep saying no to ungodliness and worldly passions, as the Bible says. But whenever that time might come, when a sinful thought, a sinful deed, uh, a 10-second stretch, you know, I love, I love your analogy again, Son, with, uh, you know, the, the cars there on Fast and Furious. You know, may, may, maybe that 10-second that stretch you had today at work. Or, or in the quietness of your heart at home or wherever, um, you're not proud of it. You certainly wouldn't, wouldn't want it to go up on any screen if, if the world was going to be able to watch your thoughts on a screen. I mean, just think about that, son. Think about how embarrassing that would be for every one of us if, if, if our worst moments, our worst thoughts um, were broadcast on a screen. Who wouldn't be nailed to the carpet in terms of um, just, how, um, just how long uh, sometimes um, desires, thoughts, uh, responses are, you know, so we, we, we want to be merciful to others, uh, as God has been to us. We want to be careful not to just throw the book at others, uh, when God has been so gracious to us. And, and we want to be careful to forgive because the Bible says, um, you know, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who's not been merciful. So, you know, even Jesus said, you know, uh, you know, if, if you, if you don't forgive, uh, men, when they sin against you, then neither will my Father in heaven forgive you when you sin. You know, and, and what he was saying is this. You can either live in God's forgiveness, which means first and foremost you receive it for yourself, and then that's going to prompt you uh, and motivate you to forgive others, or you can live in unforgiveness, where where you don't receive it from the Lord. You're trying to work your way to heaven, or you just ignore God or whatever, and then, you know, you, you tend to live a life where you hold grudges. So, so you know, we get to choose which of those two, um, you know, either a life of mercy or a life of judgment. And it's a battle, son. It's not to say that Christians never hold grudges. I mean, I'm sure we're all guilty of that. But, but one thing we can do to fight against that is to choose on the living room couch to pray for the person that we have um, a hard time forgiving. Even when we don't feel like it, that's a choice that we can make. And, and, and many times then our feelings will start to catch up with our actions. Uh, and, and, and so um, all of these things are part of the Christian life. Um, as is what Paul described in Romans 7, um, the ongoing struggle between, you know, am I going to stay here on the couch or am I going to make a trip to the basement today in my thought life uh, or with my behavior? Yeah, golf is a great analogy when it comes to that because it is something where on one hole it could either make or break you if you make a bad putt. Are you going to come back mm -hmm. from that 
and be that championship player, or are you going to let that define you and kind of continue down a miserable path? And no matter what you do, Jesus is there waiting. For people, Dan, that might be uh, listening and thinking, you know, um, what's it take to get to heaven? What's it take to get out of the basement? What's it take to 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 focus on other things than, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, however long seconds of the stuff that's going on in my life. I know there's times where people have done me wrong and, and I'm still struggling with a a couple of situations where, you know, I oftentimes get stuck with, you know, dude, I hope something really bad happens to somebody or, um, you know, I hope they reach out to me because I want to turn them down if they ask for assistance or, you know, whatever the case may be, you want to, you got to get revenge or you want to wish ill will. I know one of the things that has been prevalent that I've seen on social media is people wishing others get covid because they disagree with a mask or something you know i've had people tell me that you know i hope you get covid because then you'll see um you know so there's a lot of that that goes on and i know for me personally although i don't wish covid on anybody but you know there's other areas in my life where you know i've 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 had in the past where like yeah i hope maybe something fails or this doesn't work out because they've done me wrong and and you start it starts to consume you and, and that's takes natural, over. Isn't it, it is. It's yeah. very natural. And then and then you yeah. start to to dwell on it, and it consumes you. And that ten seconds becomes much longer. But then, amen. As your life struggles and as life gets miserable, you realize, okay, mm-hmm. I have to get rid of this. <laughs> right. Give it over to God, and then all of a sudden things right. are better. But if there's amen. some, but there's somebody yeah. out there listening and is maybe going yeah. through this, you know, or or yeah. needs just reassurance or something. How can they yeah. get out of the yeah. basement and yeah. get back to the couch? You 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 bet, Spot. Well, you know, a verse that comes to mind is is where Paul writes in Corinthians: Test yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless of course you fail the test? So the first thing I would say, Son, is it's important that a person know whether or not they are saved, forgiven, redeemed, justified, born again. Um, and how do you know that, my friend? How do you know that, that Christ is living within you? Well, um, it all depends on whether you're trusting in him as your Savior uh, and, and his death on the cross, or you're trusting in yourself. And, and so uh, to test yourself is, is to uh, examine where your reliance is for forgiveness and salvation. Um, I, I had an opportunity, uh, I believe it was last Saturday, I was um, out uh, in a park here in town. I was riding my bike there. I noticed these three young men. Turns out they're all 18, but I noticed them walking on this path there in the park. And so I kind of caught up with them and um, uh, I heard them listening to some rap music. And that gave me a good lead in because I started talking. Well, I did a little freestyle rap for them and then told them how, you know, we, we produced some gospel rap tapes back in the uh, the late 80s. But anyway, without going into all that, um, I, I told him, I, I said, hey, you know, as a pastor, I said, I'd love to ask you a question, if I may. And so here's the question I asked him, son. I, I asked these guys, if you were to die today and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell him? And, and the reason that question is so important, son, and many have used that, including uh, D. James Kennedy at Coral Ridge Presbyterian over the years. Many, many uh, who've done evangelism have used that question. It cuts to the chase in terms of what a person is relying on for salvation. And and these guys, not not one of them had a clue what they would say to the Lord. And I'm not being critical of them. I appreciated their honesty. Um, I, I didn't ask that question because, you know, they had to pass the test to impress me or anything. Um, it was a way of kind of diagnosing um, where they're at. You know, in the dark realm, uh, people have these psychic readings where they rely upon um, spiritual forces of darkness to somehow give them some sort of reading. You know, what, what I was doing in the light was, was, a, was, a, was a spiritual reading of another kind. It was a spiritual discerning process to see where they are at in terms of whether or not they're relying on Christ. And they didn't have a clue what they would say to God. And, um, and then I even asked them, I said, well, 
did you think heaven is something that you earn or, or, or not? Yeah, they all three, three thought, yeah, well, you have to earn it. Um, they all three said they, they, they go to church some, they mention the church, um, and I, I don't think they made me go a lot, but regardless, um, they didn't really have a clue what they would say to the Lord. And then I asked them, I said, you know, I know we've just met, and, but, you know, as a pastor and so forth, um, do you have any idea what you think I might say? They didn't have a clue what I would say. So it was, it was pretty obvious to me, Son, that, that they didn't really have any real understanding of the gospel, um, what, it, what it takes for a person to be saved, forgiven, redeemed, justified, born again. So I was able to share with them, you know, how I know that, that heaven is my home, uh, not because of anything I've done, but because of Christ's death for me and his blood that was shed for me. That's how I know. Even as it says in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So, so I would say to the listener today, Son, first and foremost, make sure that, that Jesus is in the living room of your heart. Make sure you've received him. Trust him as your Savior. Believe in him. You don't work for it. You, you believe it. For it is by grace um, we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that's where it all begins and is centered on Christ. And then your life will take off. And then it'll be a challenge every day to stay in the living room, not go to the basement. And so uh, the last thing I'd say, Tom, I think this also addresses kind of what you were getting at with your, with your uh, question here at the end, and that is, um, what if you're discouraged, my friend? What if you've made some trips to the basement? What if you find yourself there today? Don't give up, okay? If, you, if you've received Christ as Savior, it has to begin there. If he's upstairs and you're in the basement, um, he is not going to um, kick you out when you come back. He, he, you know, you'll be like the prodigal son. He'll welcome you back upstairs. Uh, you, you know, like the woman caught in adultery. He did not condemn her. Uh, he, he said, neither do I condemn you. Like the, the Pharisees there wanted to. But then he said, go now and leave your life of sin. So when you go back upstairs, the Lord's not going to be shaking his finger at you. Um, you that, the devil wants you to say that. He always whispers in the basement from the demons, tell you all these reasons why you shouldn't go to God and, and why you're not worthy. And I get, well, of course you're not worthy. Um, none of us are. But, but, but the quicker you get back upstairs, you'll get back to a place of peace, uh, a place of contempt, and not fear, not fear of, of, of the Lord's wrath, which is, you know, that's all in the basement. Peace with the Lord and this assurance of heaven is found upon in, in the living room with him. So, my friend, if you'll just come back there today, if you're a believer, maybe you've gotten caught up into something. Maybe it's been going on for, you know, 10 minutes or 10 hours or 10 days. Um, but today is the day to just... Um, let this message prompt you to go directly to Jesus with it. Confess it to him. Um, know that he loves you. Know that he forgives you. He won't hold it against you. Uh, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And my friend, Christians need the gospel just as much as unbelievers. My goodness. I mean, we all need the gospel. We need grace. And God will be there for you today. If you'll just come to him. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But it is up to us to come. And if we don't come out of fear or whatever, well, then that's on us, okay? Um, the Bible says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. So please, my friend, um, run back upstairs, get with Jesus. Um, he, he, he'll be fine. You know, you'll be fine. But you've got to get out of the basement. You've got to repent of that thing, and the Lord will help you. Then you'll start to clean up your mind, clean up your heart. You know, you'll start to get back to that place of peace where you're not consumed by that wicked thing that you've been giving into. And, and it's, it's, it's that way for anybody uh, living in the basement. And so God is a good God, a gracious, loving God. And, and he wants to love you today, my friend, but he's not going to come down there and, and hang out in the basement with you. You're going to have to come upstairs and, uh, and you'll really be glad you did. 
Dan Delzell, author at the Christian Post. You can check it out. All the articles that he's written there, just Google uh, his name in the Christian Post, and they all come, uh, all the articles will come up. Dan, thanks so much. Again, we appreciate your time, and uh, we look forward to uh, many more conversations as we continue to talk about the things going on in this world and how we can utilize it to further the kingdom of heaven. Well, amen, Son. It's been my pleasure as always, and thanks for all you're doing to further the gospel and, and to dive into these uh, critical theological topics, and uh, I just look forward to our next time together. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, and until next time, God bless.